Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 207 of Allied Strategies. My name is Tristan. Joining me, as always, is my friend, Benjamin. Hello. And my friend, Sam. I could hear the wheels turning as you chose who to say first, and I'm hurt with what you came up Actually, I would, the wheels were turning because I remembered that I'd done a nonsense intro last week, and I got some positive feedback requesting that I do those sorts of things more often. But it was too what? late, and I was already into a regular intro, and I could not do the nonsense that I thought maybe I would do. I was just about to complain that it's been like 20 episodes since we just had a normal introduction where no one, like, talked about it. Okay, well... It's been zero days since our last accident. Um, this week we're going to talk more about Throne of Eldraine cards. We've selected uh, entirely at random from the cards we want to talk about, and it turns out that they are all pretty much black cards, so uh, that's going to, I guess, be a, a, a sub-theme this week. One colorless. of them is colorless. We have a colorless card, a red card, a blue card, and seven black cards. Um, so pretty... Um, wait, how many red cards do we have? One, right? Well, if we... Okay. If we only have one red card, it's also black, so... What? Oh, we have two then. Okay. Anyways, um... That's what we're going to be talking about here today. Are those Throne of Eldraine cards. Those those dang Throne of Eldraine cards that we keep learning about every day. Uh, soon, though, the set will be out, and we'll probably... I guess we'll talk about Limited soon in this format, but... For now, we're going to stay kind of in the constructed-y, standard-y zone, uh, with, of course, some references to Eternal formats whenever we run into them. But before we get to that main topic, uh, let's start by thanking our illustrious friends and good friends of the podcast over at Patreon.com, supporting our show every week. The illustrious friends are Brett, Kiki-Jiki, and Winchester, and the good friends are Adam, Matt, Britton, Kyle, Carol, Eric, Zach, Sam, Duncan, Baptiste, uh, Wilson, Tobias, Line, Paul, Ryan, Jarvis, Ari, Ari, Phil, and Will. Uh, Caroline requested that her name be split into Carol and Line and placed at separate <laughs> spots in the list. Um, <laughs> and I will continue to honor all suggestions and, and requests from patrons uh, as long as they're not super duper ridiculous. And even if they are super duper ridiculous, we'll probably I'll do, I will put in a good faith effort to, to make them happen. So. Yeah, I think it's, that qualifies as super duper ridiculous. It's less likely we'll do it multiple times if it's super ridiculous. Well, but this also makes it sound like we have more patrons than we do, so that's kind of upside. That's true. Did she specifically request the like that they be seven um, patrons apart? Yes. I was going to say that there, it was split exactly in two because I would have just gone the, the full Monty and just split it, maybe by letter or something like that. Just like <laughs> Adam, Matt, C. Britain, Kyle, A, R, Eric, Zach, O, Sam, Duncan, L, Baptiste, Wilson, Tobias, Y, Paul, N, Jarvis, Ari, E, Ari, Phil, and Will. Assuming that I spelled her name I, correctly, I don't know. It was I, a little hard. I believe you scuffed it, but I'm not sure. Yeah, I, was, got, I got completely lost in the sauce. Yeah, I, I also got lost in the sauce. I think there's a good chance I misspelled. It. However, since Benjamin has read every patron's name, next week we will not be reading any patron names since we've done them twice this week, uh, and that would go against our terms of service. To we have, we have to correct things, so uh, we'll be returning to balance by doing that. Anyways, let's move on to somehow our least, our second least nonsensey segment, card of the week. <laughs> we've come a long way since this was our most nonsensey segment. Uh, Sam, what is your card of the week? My card of the week this week is Takatli Honor Guard. Uh, it's one in a white for a 1-3 uh, 
that says creatures entering the battlefield doesn't cause abilities to trigger. Um, and this card I saw showing up in burn sideboards this week. Uh, Quinn Kiefer played it on, on route to a PTQ top four uh, that I that I was burning this week. And it looked really good, actually. I saw him just completely dis- dismantle a humans player with it. Um, so I hadn't really considered it as an option, but it seems like it might be kind of good. You know, keep an eye out for it. Yeah, Torpor Orb has been floating around as a good card against humans for a while now, so I guess it's not that surprising that the creature version is also good. Yeah, I just hadn't really expected it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, th- this one, kind of since it's time and standard, is, I, I guess it's been a card I'd- I would never be that surprised to see in a tournament, but, you know, clearly is never going to be that insane or anything. Um, Benjamin, what is your card of the week? My card of the week is Frogify. Frogify is an enchantment for one and a blue enchant creature. Enchanted creature loses all abilities and is a blue frog creature with base power and toughness 1-1. One, one. It loses all other card types and creature types. I'm just kind of annoyed that this card, unlike Pongify, does not replace, uh, just not does not just destroy the creature and replace it with a 1-1 one, one green frog token. I would like to see some consistency across the ifis. You know, like, uh, plus then we'd get one, one frog creature tokens and that would just be gas. I will say that the picture on this card is pretty cool though. It's got a little frog sitting at a table with a, with a crown. So I think that the, uh, design of being an enchantment that turns something into a frog is better than the design of destroying and replacing with a token, destroying and replacing with a token triggers these like on death effects that you don't really associate with being turned into something else and also it makes it reversible in a way that turning somebody into a frog you'd expect to be reversible right if you like that's a common trope so the fact that it's reversible is, by killing the enchantment i think is further is there outside. a true love's kiss card that destroys an enchantment in this set yet? yes there is boom that's a flavor win right there wait did you actually that's... were you were you guessing or did you know that there i i didn't know that there was yeah true love's kiss hang on let me go, let me find it it's um yeah it is exile. I found it. Okay. Exile target artifact and shit. It's it's slice and twain, but it exiles instead of destroys. Yeah, and it. Uh... Yeah, that's. See, look, that's that is good flavor right there. Come on, Ben, you have to admit. All right, I, I admit that the flavor is on point, but I, I, just, I agree. You know... I, I understand not liking the inconsistency, but I think that it's you know when you discover that you have done something in the past bad, you don't want to keep making the same mistake and instead just set a new paradigm. And now when we get, you know. Uh, I don't know, Toadify or Birdify or whatever, it'll work like Frogify instead of like Pongify. This set also has um like an Enchantments Matter sub-theme in blue-white, it looks like. There's like a creatures yeah, that get I, better I, if you play enchantments or whatever, so it does fit well there. All right, my card of the week is Battalion Foot Soldier. Battalion Foot Soldier is two and a white for a 2-2 human soldier from Corset 2020. When it enters the battlefield, you may search your library for any number of cards named Battalion Foot Soldier, reveal them, put them into your hand, and then shuffle your library. And this is a card I've been playing some Corset 2020 ranked drafts on Magic Arena recently. And this is a card that uh, it kind of eluded me until recently, but I believe this style of card, I don't know if we've talked about this already, but maybe we have. If so, it hadn't really sunk in. Just how much better this card is to like draft four of than it would have been before the London Mulligan. This card basically means that in your limited decks, like if you have a bad seven, you can actually just take a mulligan to six and you're, you're 
you're not that mulliganed because you, if you're playing cards like this, like you can refill on cards uh, pretty effectively. So I, I think that this effect, the like squadron hawk text on cards, uh, has become a much better than it used to be, and b something that you're more interested in having, say, four than three. You know, it used to be. I, I think the Legion Conquistador often the number people would go for was three. Uh, and they weren't super interested in the fourth, but I think that four, one of the nice things about four is that you can just bottom one if you mulligan to six or whatever. Uh, and I think that making it so that your mulliganing isn't that bad for your limited deck is a pretty valuable characteristic for cards in your deck also. So uh, I'm on this kind of card in whenever they're printed and limited from now on. I hate this card, thanks. <laughs> do, you, do you hate it? Do you disagree with me or do you just hate the things that I said about it because you don't like how it plays? No, I just believe it is very bad in M20 Limited. You believe it is bad in M20 Limited. Okay. Do you, do you think that, though, that, you know, it is... Do, like, do you agree with the relative value being higher than it would be pre-London Mulligan and, and such? Sure. Uh, it's slightly higher because, I mean, basically just exactly what you said. Mm-hmm. The redundant copies is less of a, an issue. But, you know... It's still two two for three. Yes, like it's more two twos for three. Yeah, I mean it depends on. God forbid your opponent play a two three. Depends on your deck. I, I've been playing a lot of ancestral blades, and those are really happy to have. Well, that card is insane. Yeah, obviously that card is bananas. Um, but yeah, I, I guess all my deck, pretty much all of my decks have been white. Also, like this is a good combo with uh, heart piercer bow in the set because it can attack into a lot of stuff as long as you have heart piercer bows. Anyways. That's my card of the week. Just just some musings about uh, the downstream effects of the London Mulligan. Let's move on to our main topic, uh, where we have selected three cards each from Throne of Eldraine, and we will be each taking turns leading the discussion about one of these cards. Sam, you have the honor of being the first card discussion leader. Take it away. Okay, so my card is Cauldron Familiar. It's one black for a 1-1. That's a cat. And it says, when it enters the battlefield, each opponent loses one life, and you gain one life. And it has sacrifice of food, return cauldron familiar from your graveyard to the battlefield. And one thing that it does not say is return it from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped, which is something that often gets put on cards like this. Um, so this one was enough to, to give me some pause, I would say, when I, when I saw it. Huh. Huh. Well, I guess yeah. I'll pause. What? Cats have pause? Uh, okay, sure. Cats definitely have Benjamin. paws. I Hello? don't really know what the definition of a paw is. It's the thing that's on the bottom of a cat. It's, Four of it's, them. It's, yeah, it's almost just exactly. Like, cats are the first thing I think of when I think, I think of cats. I, I think I, I think of was dogs. dogs. Yeah, I think dogs yeah. are more okay. paw-associated than cats, but I believe cat is the second most animal associated with paw. That's fine. I, 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 thought, I was thinking dog, and then I, I thought that because it was dog, it couldn't be cat. But yeah, that, sure. I'm, I'm willing to admit fault here. I, I don't know. Isn't cat's paw like literally a thing? Like a yeah, that's a good point. Okay, well, anyway, whew. now that we've resolved that, <laughs> thank goodness we got to the bottom of that. Um, yeah, so I, th- I think this card might actually be kind of good. There's, you know, it depends a lot on what sacrifice, what ways there are to sacrifice creatures for value. Uh, so far, we've seen Ayara first of Lockthwain, which is a a black, 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 two, three that has tap, sack, another black creature draw card. So that's a decent way to use your cat. There's also the uh, priest. Is it priest of the forgotten gods? Is that the name of that card? That card is still legal. Yes. Yeah. There's. I forgot about that one. Good it's point. not a not a bad thing to do with some cats. Um, there's and there's the witch's, witch's oven, oven, which, which goes naturally, infinite with it. Well, 
it goes infinite slowly. It goes every turn you drain them for yeah, one. Yeah, every turn you get to drain them for one. Yeah. Um, And also block. Like, that's that's yeah. one of the huge things about this, though, is you can chump block a thing and then and then sack it to whatever your thing is and then get it or get it back and chump block and sack it. Um, so I, I don't know. I kind of would not be surprised if this card showed up a little more than it looks like it would. Because I think normally, you know, this looks like a limited only card, but I, I kind of expect this one to make the leap into Constructed. What do you guys think? I think you're probably right. Like, uh, I don't know. It, it needs to be in the deck that does sacrifice it and have food to bring it back. Um, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if there was a deck like that that ended up happening. Cause, and you're right. Like, usually you see camp block, return it to the battlefield tapped, activate this only as a sorcery, like those kind of effects on this, and you don't see any of them here. Yeah, I think it's asking a lot of you. Like, you have to balance these different types of effects in your deck, right? The, you have to balance having food with sacrificing creatures and all that sort of stuff. But um, I do agree with you, this is like one of the most compelling things to sacrifice because it also just like gives you reach. Like a lot of the times with these like recursive sacrifice decks, it's like you can do the thing, but like what the thing you're doing is like kind of slow or not that impressive and it ends up just like not mattering very much. Um, like making one ones or whatever when the one ones are like not relevant on the board, but like you said, Sam, this le- like extends the game by a lot because you get to keep blocking with it, and then also um, it blocks and it, it gives gains you life as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the come into playability yeah. just like gives you inevitability where like you know once it happens twenty times, your opponent's gonna be dead. Um, but like wh- how much play it sees depends a lot on you know h- how easy it is to make food tokens. Um, Oko. Uh, Oko is is gonna be, you know, our man, our main man, our main man for this sort of stuff. Creating food tokens can also make your your one one into a three three, and you can just start bashing with it. So, yeah, that's I, a lot I, of colors, but I could I could see it. Yeah, but I I think it's gonna be inevitable that you're gonna have to do this because you're basically just gonna have to pick the best food token cards and the best sacrifice cards, and then that's just going to naturally bring you to a lot of colors, I think. I think. I mean, something like Savvy Hunter could also help a lot. Yeah, I like Savvy Hunter. Yeah, I think you're that definitely going to want to be playing this in, like, a Gilded Goose deck, perhaps. Yeah, I think you're obligated to play Gilded Goose alongside so the, if you're the doing, cat. So if you're doing that, then Oko Thief of Crowns is not much more of a splash. Like, you're not extending into that much more color. To do that that's true and and the goose obviously helps fix and get all that going yeah um i don't know i'm cu- i am curious to see what good food creating stuff is going to be around um anyways uh, and there's also you know there are a couple of things that things that are food and not food tokens that i don't i'm not i don't know if either of these are going to be good enough but there's ginger brute and golden egg ginger brute's a one mana one one haste that uh you can pay one to make it not blocked this turn except by creatures with haste, and you can also pay. It's, it's a food, so you can pay two and sack it to gain two life. Um, three life. Three life. Sorry. And then there's golden egg, which is just a two mana artifact food. When it enters the battlefield, draw a card. One tap sack it to filter for any color, uh, and two tap sack it to gain three life as well. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if either of these are gonna like fit in anywhere, but I think that I, I wouldn't be surprised to see one or both of these. I, like gingerbread just looks like the kind of card that's. Some decks are going to be interested in for the attacking <laughs> to to mostly be a raging golem that counts as food for a couple things. A raging, sorry, a raging. Do you, um, 
Goblin? Yeah, I, th- I think of those gold... Golden Egg looks more likely to show up because it's food. Yeah. Whereas Ginger Brute looks like maybe you play it because you, you're you interested in you know a, har- a, a better Raging Goblin, but you're not really... like I don't think the food part is going to be a big factor, but the fact that Golden Egg just replaces itself... Yeah, exactly. Like, Go- that's, if you, that's if you thought decent. of Golden Egg as just like... You know, if the card was just like one in a green, create a food, draw a card, like you'd be looking at that card as a food enabler. And that is basically what Golden Egg is, except obviously it doesn't require any colored mana. Um, yeah. And it filters Prophetic for your mana, Prism. so yeah. Prophetic Prism has seen play before. This card is in the same space, I would say. So th- we'll have to keep an eye out for that. And if they make a couple more kind of good generic foodie things, then we'll be, uh, I think that that kind of deck will have more than just one way to build it. As it stands right now, we're kind of waiting for a couple of those things to be spoiled, and then we'll see what the build ends up looking like. Yeah, Cur- Curious Pair is another one, I think, to keep your eye on for a food creator. That's uh, a 2-mana 1-3 that goes on an adventure for 1 green that's create a food. So it's a very simple card, but like, if you're using all the parts of that, it might actually be good enough for construction. I cannot believe that they, they did not make the adventure called Curious Pair, but P-E-A-R. That would have been so good. It's a Hansel and Gretel. Would it though? Card, though. Yeah. Like, I cast, I cast Curious Pair. Yeah. No. Your opponent's like, uh... <laughs> have you have you seen Thirty Rock? The, sh- the where they have the fake show homophone on it. No. It's just people trying to guess homophones, and they go, the guy's just always like, no, it's the other one. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like something that would amuse Ben for hours. What the heck? All right, Ben, what is your card to talk about here? My card is Stone Coil Serpent. Stone Coil Serpent costs X generic mana, and it's an artifact creature, Snake, and it enters the battlefield with X plus almost one counters on it. And then it has Reach, Trample, and Protection from Multicolor. Now, I'm talking about this card in Modern because... Good friend of the stream, Matt Nass, always tries to put um, freaking Chamber Sentry in Hardened Scales. Basically, horrible. Yeah, it's awful. Awful. <laughs> on the you know on the hypothesis that look, you can play it for cheap as like sort of a bad Arcbound worker, uh, and then later on, you know, you can put plus almost one counters on it, and then you can pay a bunch of mana to deal damage to stuff by removing those plus almost one counters. So this card is a lot like that, but kind of different and way better because, like, you can just play it as sort of a bad arcbound worker, but so it doesn't have modular, but it does have trample. Trample being very important um, against people who like to chump block against, for example, arcbound ravager. Um, so if you're in a situation where you can just put a bunch of bunch of crunch of counters on this card, um, even if your opponent has enough chump blockers, they're not going to be able to live. It also has protection from multicolor, which is like reflector as mage. As far as I can tell, Colagon's random. Yeah, it's kind of like, like some random. people play with that Nimizit deck. Yeah. <laughs> very good against them. Yeah, it is. I think it's mostly just going to be random upside. Like sometimes your opponent will have like three mana to ferry and they can't bounce your card, or sometimes they'll have Colagon's command and they can't kill it. I think reflector just mage like... as well. It's pretty. It's pretty great against humans because it's a big threat that you can invest in that can't get reflector mage. Yeah, that's true. Or chumps. Yeah, yeah, so I think it's going to come up like fairly often, uh, this ability, although it's going to be kind of hard to measure exactly how often it comes up. So I wouldn't be surprised to see this card make its way into some hardened scales decks, uh, you know, once it gets printed. I, 
I have gone on record as saying that if you could play eight Arcbound Workers in Hardened Scales, the deck would be extremely, extremely good. And this card, I think, is probably worse than Arcbound Worker, but there's definitely some upside. I am relatively confident that this is worse than Arcbound Worker. Yeah. Yes. But I, I do agree with you. I think I actually played Hardened Scales at a small local modern event yesterday, and I would probably have played a couple copies of this card, I, at very least to try it out. But I think it might even be correct, too. Like, it seems like it might be good. Mm-hmm. Alrighty, my card is Wishclaw Talisman. Wishclaw Talisman is one in a black for an artifact. It is rare. It enters the battlefield with three wish counters on it. You can pay one, tap it, and remove a wish counter to search your library for a card, put it into your hand, then shuffle your library. An opponent gains control of Wishclaw Talisman, and you can activate this only during your turn, although notably not at sorcery speed, so you, you could do this to wish for something uh, at instant speed in matchups where you'd want to do that. There's been a lot of discussion. Well, was it? I was going to say also with with the with the key, Voltaic key. Yes, very important. You can use it instant speed. Right, so you could uh, do the thing three times if you assemble that combination. I'm not I'm not too interested in that combo. That combo seems a little clunks to me. Um, there are some other cards that this combo is very naturally with. Um, certain planeswalkers like um, Teferi. Yeah, and uh, Karn also right because your opponent won't be able to activate it. Uh, yeah. Karn is a harder sell for a standard thing, but I maybe I guess this card's pretty powerful. Could be, could be good in modern, right? And they, can't they both find each other as well? So it kind of yeah, you can Karn for the Wishclaw Talisman. Yeah, I... there, there's there's a lot of uh, hashtag artifacts in this set. <laughs> yeah, which is what I call which is the name for cards that are just enchantments, but they made them artifacts arbitrarily. So like Karn did get a lot better. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I so I think that it's worth thinking about the like those combos certainly seem strong, but I, I kind of want to discuss this because I feel like a lot of the the like pro discussion I've seen of this card kind of assumes that it's not feasible to just play this unironically uh, and play it with the plan being you're gonna activate it and give it to your opponent. Um, if you do that, you've paid three mana to tutor. Then your opponent gets to tutor necessarily late. Like they can't tutor until they untap. So. Uh, it's on their next turn, and now they get the choice to pay one mana to tutor, so you'll have paid two total mana over them, and you'll have both tutored, and then you'll get a wish again. You'll be able to pay one mana to tutor with no drawback at that point. Um, so you'll have gotten two tutors, and your opponent will have gotten one, and it, it seems to me like there's a lot of states here where you, you can tutor for a game-winning card, your opponent can tutor for an answer, and you can tutor for an answer to that answer, and you know, you're, 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 you're good, right? You're chilling. Um, so I, I like the, like, I think that this is not necessarily a card that you need to be all in on not allowing your opponent to tutor with. I think that just, like, if, if you're going to tutor twice, that's reasonable, depending on, if your opponent has something they can search for that will deny you the wish claw talisman, but then, then they're not tutoring for something as impactful as whatever you presumably went for the first time if you're, if you're going for something proactive. Um, and if you want to answer your opponent's big thing, you can answer your opponent's big thing, they can find another one, and then you can find another answer. Um, so I, I think that just... The, like the tutor advantage on this thing makes it pretty compelling to like I, I'm not I'm not I, I think that it, it will be played straight up some percentage of the time I do think if you play this card it, it would be nice if you also had ways so that you could play it like tutoring for Teferi immediately uh, is a pretty powerful sequence in a lot of spots too so uh, I don't hate that but even like yeah I, I basically I'm, I'm just I think I'm on this card and I don't think you have to actually always be working that hard and I don't think that you like I think that just tutoring for whatever good card is impactful in the situation even if your opponent will then get to tutor for themselves is often going to be a pretty good line too yeah I, 
I, I think you could be right. I think one weird thing, though, is that in Standard, there aren't really cards that are, like, super awesome and great. Like, like the, the power level, I feel, is often... Like, the cards you can get are going to be really good, but they're going to cost a lot of mana, typically. Um, and they're going to kind of be samey, in the sense that you could just put, like, a card that... Like, a five-mana card in your deck instead of this card, and it would be... Like, get you about the same advantage most of the time. Um, so I'm not sure... Like, it seems like this card would be better in a deck that is really... There's a high variance in power level in the cards in the deck. Like, you're looking for very specific pieces C- somehow. Certainly if there's any kind of combo deck, like if Kathis were still to be legal, post-rotation, or like a, a Kathis combo, uh, then, you know, that, that that would be big upside for a card like this too, but... I don't know. I mean, the, the card on the face of it, like, is a, it's a three mana tutor, right? That that first turn, like, that's not an effect we have seen in standard in a long time. Um, and yeah. I, it's it's pretty cheap. Like, it, just the difference between you you know finding your murderous rider to to murder your opponent's creature if you need an answer to that versus finding a planeswalker that you'll be able to cast on the next turn, or you know, if you play this card in in, an, in the early turns, you can just wait until turn five and then just go find your best four drop and play it. Like, you're really not. Uh, in a spot where it takes yeah, multiple it, turns to activate, like you, you, it really, it really does not cost a lot of mana. So it definitely has that going for it. Yeah, two and one is also much better. Like it's, it's even better than three, right? Like, yeah, yeah. You can just play this on turn two, and then. But I, I don't know the scenario that you described, Tristan, where like you tutor for a threat, your opponent tutors for an answer, and then you tutor for a threat, and you're like up a tutor. Like you did play the talisman, so you're even on cards. Like if you just played a threat they would still have to draw an answer and you'd be in the same spot. Right. So but, like, well, but you could find an answer for their answer, right? Like if you're playing a deck that has counterspells, you can you can find your big thing and then the next turn you can find a counterspell and then you can, you know, protect it. But it, it didn't cost them a lot to tutor for it. Like if you... I mean, it d- depends on how it or, plays Or, you know, exactly. there's a black deck as well, so you could just tutor for your threat and then tutor for a discard spell after your, opponent's, your opponent wishes for something, you know, anticipating whatever you've gotten and you just wish for your discard spell. And uh, yeah, I mean, I I do think that that will happen when you put this card in your deck, even if you're playing with like the Karn combos or whatever. Some of the time you'll just do this other thing. But I don't I kind of don't think that that will like I think you will. That will be the the fallback mode more than the primary. Yeah, but I think that it's important when discussing a card like this to not be in this kind of mode where like it needs to be comboing to work. Like I I I think that the fair game plan for this card is actually quite respectable. Like and and often there will be combinations of cards you can tutor for that are going to be pretty checkmatey. Yeah, yeah, if, if yeah, like you said though, especially if there are if there end up being cards that are you know above like the best card in your deck by so much, like Kethys in the Kethys deck, or I, I don't know, I can't really think of any other great examples from Standard that recently. I guess maybe, eh, not really. Um, yeah, I can't really think of anything, but if there are decks where it's like, this card is an 11 in my deck, and if I draw it enough, then I will win, then this this will definitely be a good addition to those decks, I think. This card is wild. I really like it. After talking about this, I've just I'm really excited to to try playing with this card now <laughs> yeah it sounds fun yeah I, I basically i'm higher on this card i, I think this card's gonna be awesome um uh, normally you'd think that repetitive tutoring would not be fun but i this card is weird enough that i'm kind of about it yeah and like if you're playing it in the same deck as teferi you can also tutor for teferi the second time like you give it to your opponent 
and find something that you need more than Teferi, and then your opponent gives it back, and you can you can just still find Teferi and bounce, and you get a new Wishclaw Talisman if you want it. Um, it is nice that there's finally a card that'll make Teferi good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, true. True. All right, uh, Sam. What is the next card you would like to discuss? All right, my next card is Black Lance Paragon, and this is black and one for a three-one flash. Uh, that's a human knight. And it says, when Blacklance Paragon enters the battlefield, target knight gains death touch and lifelink until end of turn. And this card is interesting to me. It is, it feels like a reprint because it's very similar to Dire Fleet Poisoner, um, which was a pirate with flash in black that cost two mana that gave a pirate death touch when it came into play. So I was like a little bit disappointed when I first saw this. I was like, yeah, they're just trying, they're just like retreading uh, a card that didn't really work out the first time around. Um, but the more I've thought about it, the more I think this one might actually be good enough to play. And that made me a little a little more intrigued. Like, you know, maybe this is they felt like they didn't push Dire Fleet Poisoner hard enough. And this might actually be good enough to get Night Tribal over. Because Dire Fleet Poisoner only affected, I think, attacking pirates. Whereas this, yeah. you can flash it in. And it can target itself. So it can you can flash it in as a 3-1 Death Touch lifelink and block. So like it's this this ought to be really good against green decks. Dire Fleet Poisoner had Death Touch by itself. Oh, yeah. it had Death Touch itself. Okay, I forgot that part. Yeah, I, I don't know. This card seems like it might be uh, it might be pretty potent to me. It would definitely be good in any kind of aggro mirror. Yeah, this, the, the lifelink stapled onto this. Like, a problem with Direfleet Poisoner is if your opponent's playing, like, a red deck, you kind of had this uh, lame creature where 2-2 Death Touch is pretty similar to just 2-2 Vanilla. Um, but 3-1 lifelink, by contrast, is notably better. Well, it, and yeah, and it felt to me like Direfleet Poisoner was pigeonholed into being good against decks that were trying to block. Mm-hmm which is not usually that true for standard decks, whereas this one can be good if you are a deck that wants to block some of the time as well. Certainly. But yeah, it has like I, twice the range. I also think Dire Fleet Poisoner suffered from a few things. Like one, like what, what, what you just mentioned with it's good against decks that were trying to block, except like a bunch of the pirate mechanics were around people not being able to block anyway. Like they had evasion, like flying or menace or whatever. So it just it wasn't very good. And also, Dire Fleet Poisoner wasn't good on turn two, um, and all like it just didn't really put that much pressure on your opponent, and was kind of just a, you know, a two mana two two, and the the pirate the other pirate cards were just not very good. So I think all of those sort of combined to make Dire Fleet Poisoner n- didn't quite get there, um, but I think it was pretty close. And I think that this card as a three ma- three power two drop is a lot better to just cast on turn two. And then also, I think the knight cards are just going to be much, much better than the the pirate cards were. Yes. So I would not, I would not be surprised if this card sees sees some play. Typically, two mana three ones in standard are not great, but there's enough upside here that I think it'll be good. Like also, it's just it's good at helping you play around sweepers. Also, like the flash is just a, a pretty strong ability, um, even if you're not like trying to combo the two abilities together. You know. Another thing of note is that like first strike is a knight, a keyword that you see on some knights that obviously works very nicely with yeah, that touch. Um, oh yeah, I, ha- I hadn't even thought about like a, that. Yeah, me there's neither. single red for a one one first strike. Um, there's some five mana white legend with first strike, and I, th- I think there might be some ways with equipment to give stuff first strike as well. Is that is that true or is that am I mistaken on it? There's a double striking 
one two goblin knight, but that looks not like a playable. But the single red, the fervent champion, like is it's red for a one one first strike haste. Um, Javier Dominguez. Yeah, like that card is it seems like a card that you're pretty interested in uh, have, having get like get blocked and then and then just giving a death touch and life link and bang. Um, so I, I I think that like yeah first strikes double strikes there there are a couple of knights with those abilities and this works very nicely with those. All right, um, let's see, Benjamin, you have the next card. My next card is Rankle, Master of Prankles. Rankle, Master of Prankles costs 2 BB for a, a legendary fairy rogue. It's a 3-3 with flying and haste. And whenever Rankle deals combat damage to a player, choose any number. Each player discards a card. Each player loses one life and draws a card. Each player sacrifices a creature. Also, I did not realize that until I just read it that this card was choose any number. I thought it was I choose, choose seven. Yeah, yeah we're, nice. where's the number we chose going to come into play here? So those those are three abilities. You choose any number of those abilities. Uh, so either each player discards a card, each player loses one life and draws a card, and each player sacrifices a creature. Also, notably, the discard comes before the draw. Yeah. So if you, hap- if you happen to be hellbent and your opponent is not, you could choose both, and then they'll have to discard a card and draw a card, whereas you just get to draw a card. Too bad you can't combo this with Narset. That would be sweet. Uh, yeah, it would be difficult to do that. You can play it with can stop Notion Thief in Modern, though. Yeah. Also, do, is it really too bad that you can't combo it with Narset? No, not really. <laughs> not, not so much, I guess. Anyway, this, this card is sort of weird. I think it's good. Like, it does a lot. The problem is that it sort of does it to both players, and so I don't know... It, it, I'm confident that there will usually be a situation where the one of the abilities is better for you. And, like, 3-3 three, three Flying Haste for 4 is pretty reasonable. But this is a card that I would be looking to sort of combo with this in this, like, Sacrifice deck with the cat that we were talking about earlier because the each player sacrifices a creature ability is sort of the highest impact i would say um well i think that know. discarding a card is the one that's most likely to be one-sided though because you you can uh be hellbent like if you're if you're just playing an aggressive deck that gets hellbent like discarding a card losing life and drawing a card making your opponent sack their one good blocker like all three of those can be so i think just like in an aggressive strategy this also looks good Certainly sacrificing a creature is the least likely to be one-sided, as you will definitely have a creature in play. Mm-hmm. Um, That's but... not true. You could have Trample. All right, fine. You're right. You got me. <laughs> this card also is notably a rogue, in addition to being a fairy, so it does allow you to play Robber of the Rich cards, and Robber of the Rich cards are pseudo card dra- like cards you've pseudo-drawn, so you could have an empty hand and still cast one of those, uh, and maybe select the discard a card mode. And this card looks if, amazing with if gutter you have, bones. If you have spare creatures lying about and your opponent plays like a big creature to stabilize or whatever, this card is a beating. Mm-hmm. Like, sack a cat, kill a 4-5 or whatever uh, is pretty powerful. And, you know, if you want it to have 4 power when it's dealing damage to a player, you kind of get to at the cost of both players drawing a card. But it's unclear even how bad that is. Yeah, often uh, you don't want both players to draw a card, but often you would. Like, if you've emptied your hand and you're blasting them in the face, you're pretty happy if they go from 5 to 6 and you go from 0 to 1. Yeah. Yeah, one uh, of the problems with these, like, sacrifice decks is they're often really low to the ground, I think, and they run out of gas a little bit. This could definitely help there. Yeah. Yeah. And this helps your opponent also be low on gas, so 
I'm I'm in for this card. Yeah, I like it. And yeah, three three toughness for a four mana card is not my favorite, but we'll see if the the ability is good enough. Mm-hmm. All right, my next card is not. We don't actually know the name for sure. These yet. Uh, it might be Red Cap Brawl. That's what Mythic Spoiler thinks. Uh, it's been spoiled in a different language, uh, and it is red for an instant. It deals four damage to target creature or planeswalker. But if this deals damage to a non-red permanent, sacrifice a land. Uh, this card, I think, it's it's from a cycle of there are these like cards that uh, have a drawback unless they affect the same color as themselves. Uh, and this card to me is the, is one that kind of looks like mono red decks might just be about pay, paying red, dealing four damage to a creature, planeswalker, and, and sacrificing a land, uh, even in non-red mirrors like. If you're just playing against some green deck or white deck and you're ahead on board, you can just play this and, you know, blast away their Planeswalker or their creature and be pretty happy about it. So I'm kind of interested in this card because I don't necessarily feel like you need it to be against... Like, it it seems like the mode of just, you know, the sack of land to kill a green creature is reasonable uh, on the card. So if it, it it's kind of... It's kind of mutually exclusive with these like four drop and five drop red strategies that have been red decks for the past little while, but there might be a new red deck in town this uh, expansion that is, you know, lower to the ground, cheaper. And if your deck is mostly one and two drops and three drops, you can, I think, afford to plan to sacrifice a land against those strategies. Yeah, I mean, Lava Coil is a legal card, so you have to be getting a lot of value out of the fact that you can just target planeswalkers with this i mean it is a one mana instant instead of a two mana sorcery yeah i mean that's true but i don't know also the planeswalkers have just a billion loyalty this card might see some play the well it'll definitely definitely see sorry as you say this is a great answer to hasty crackling drake which was often a problem Mm -hmm. yeah in like phoenix mirrors yeah, very, I mean, it's very true. good against I, I don't this. Know, yeah. has, has Crackling Drake been played in Standard in, like, six months? I have no idea. <laughs> the last time I played Standard, Crackling Drake was a player. Yeah, but you haven't played Standard for, like, six months. Absolutely true. Um... I don't know. That this, yeah, I mean, it's possible this card could be good. I think Sacrifice... You just can't... If your intention is to sacrifice a land a lot of the time, you cannot put a lot of copies of this card in your deck. You're just... If you just draw multiples and you have to sack lands to cast it, it's going to be horrible. Right, yeah, and one drawback as well is that, like, it's not as... I mean, it is pretty... Like, if your opponent is playing red, though, it's very, very good. Um, although, I guess it's dealing four damage is not that different from dealing two damage against a lot of red creatures, so maybe not. Um, I think one thing I just... I really don't like about it is that all the Planeswalkers nowadays have more than four loyalty, and so it's not really going to be killing the... Like, Chandra's Defeat just killed Chandra when they played it. yeah. Uh, this one doesn't kill Chandra. No, it doesn't, it doesn't but it, it, it's like this card can kill a lot of Planeswalkers that you otherwise wouldn't be able to because you have like one good attack against it or something. Like yeah. it teams up nicely. And it, for for a single mana instant, like it, it doesn't need to be, it, it doesn't need to solve the whole problem to necessarily be playable. I do think the art on this card is a little bit uh, I, I I always think it's photoshopped. It, it, I, I was just about to say it, this. Honestly, the guy's head is photoshopped. It's too like the 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 face is like photorealistic, and then Im- immediately it's it's like this out of focus, clearly drawn armor on the thing, and like 
yeah, I, I I don't know what's happening here. I I would not be surprised if it was revealed that this, in fact, they photoshopped somebody's face on it, and it's actually there's actually art underneath that. <laughs> it, it's it also like a knight like a with Twitch a helmet. Emote. Yeah, it does kind of look like a Twitch emote. Yeah, hey, maybe, maybe any, any magic streamers probably want to uh, turn that thing into <laughs> into a face, especially if anybody plays mono red a lot on their stream. I think that'd be very easy to do. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, art, art complaints aside, though, yeah, a card that I will be keeping my eye on. Sam, what is your next card? Uh, my next card is Drown in the Lock, and this is blue-black for an instant. It says, choose one. Counter-target spell with converted mana cost less than or equal to the number of cards in its controller's graveyard, or destroy target creature with converted mana cost less than or equal to the number of cards in its controller's graveyard. And this card... Uh, I think is going to not pan out as well as people think it will. I think it looks very, very appealing, and I I kind of expect it to be a dud. I think that it's just a little harder than you might think to fill up your opponent's graveyard without like a thought scour type effect, and uh, and you're you're not really going to be getting your full money's worth out of this thing, except maybe in uh, in modern. I think I could imagine you know. Thought Scour, or even like the blue black mill deck that people play, like two mana counterspell is really really good. If you if you're playing with Archive Trap, it's not that hard to pull off. Um, but I think for standard, my my prediction is that this card does not work out. I think yeah, I, I agree. agree with you. Yeah. In standard, like creatures cost five mana frequently, and what are you going to do with this card in your hand? <laughs> you yeah. Know, like, I mean, it, maybe you you can play one in your deck. I don't think that would be crazy. One or two. Um, but it's not it's not going to be like a great card to play a bunch of copies of. It's not going to be. Um, there are going to be times when you just shouldn't put it in your deck at all. Like, yeah, it's it's interesting to me because like what you said is definitely true. I think you you might be able to get away with playing a copy or two, maybe one, but it does kind of look like you would want to play multiples because like the first one kills something small and then the next one can get something bigger because you've used the first one. But I, I, yeah, I kind of don't think that that's actually going to work out because I think it's so often going to be that the first one doesn't have anything to get. Yeah, that's what that, I was going to say. Like, what's really going to happen is you're going to draw a bunch of them and you can't kill anything, and then you're going to die. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, this, this was a card that I when when it was spoiled this morning, I saw a lot of people talking about it as if it might end up being very good. But I, I really don't think it is. I agree. Yeah, I, I don't even. I mean, maybe blue black mill and modern will be about it, but. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's weird because it's off plan. Yeah, exactly. Like that, that's a pretty hard combo deck. When it's on, it is really absurdly good. Like split card counterspell, Doom Doomblade is like very strong. It's certainly true. Yeah, but, but the thing about counterspell and Doomblade just... is that like you want them to you, like them being turned on all the time is important. Yeah, exactly. Being two mana spells is uh, mm-hmm. that you can cast on turn two is important. Right. Um, all right, Benjamin, you are the proud owner of the next card here. My next card is Steel Claw Lance. It is an equipment for a black mana and a red mana. It says, equipped creature gets plus two, plus two. Equip knight one, equip three. So you can equip anything for three, but if you are if you have knights in play, then it equips to the knights for only one mana. I am very confident that this card is going to be good um, in the knight deck. Uh, I think that plus two plus two for equip one is a really good rate, and I think that like plus two plus two is just is really a lot of stats. 
Um, and being able to pass that around to your different creatures, like as your opponent kills a creature, you can then move it to the next one, you know, in the typical way that equipment provides you with advantage by, um, you know, enabling all of your creatures to be good rather than just a single one. This is going to be sort of, you know, it's going to work in the typical way. Like Bone Splinter, Bone Splitter, which was uh, plus two plus O oh, and cost one and equipped for one, was a really good card. And this card is like Bone Splitter, but I think better in a night deck. Yeah, notably it does get cast by the Knight Triland as well, because that land also taps for enchantments. Uh, or not equipments. For, for equipments, which this is. Um, so you may, you may be able to construct a deck that uh, plays all three colors of knights. Otherwise, you would expect this to just be in like a black-red deck generally, right? Yes, normally I would yeah. consider a black-red card to be in a black-red deck. Yes, okay. It does seem like the most likely thing. One thing that I do, again, just to go back to the art, like... Is this actually an effective weapon here? It's like, it like it's like this lance, but instead of being pointed at the end, it kind of goes out into like it's a... It's got four points. That's more points than... That's four times as many points it's, as your average It lance. seems like to me, like if you charged into like a bear with this and one of the points started making it a good connection or whatever and started like, you know, getting into the bear, it would get stopped by like the weird shape in the middle. And I like it would impede its own... You, you'd not actually be able to... Really get a Why good are you hit trying in? to fight a bear with your land? Well, that's kind of a, a nightly thing to do, right? I, I don't think you would joust like you joust with lances. I don't. I don't think you really. Right, I have forgotten about the famous dual deck knights versus bears. <laughs> <laughs> Look, man, it's 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 not. I, I think that it's reasonable to to wonder what is going on with this weapon here and, and why it is designed well, this way. Tristan, I this don't card disagree is, with that, Tristan. But, this card is this this weapon is really good against yeah bears. that's true it, no bear will ever survive that's a good mm-hmm. point that's that's a really good point I see okay my next card uh, is forever young forever young is one in a black for a sorcery put any number of target creature cards from your graveyard on top of your library draw a card uh, so this card is. The same effect, but at sorcery speed as Footbottom Feast from Lorwyn, uh, which costs an additional generic mana. Uh, th- now, that card is not one that I was around to play when it was here, but uh, Sam and Ben, I believe you both were. Was that card any good, Footbottom Feast? I, I was not really around for okay. it. I just... I, I think it's, like, a reasonable card. I kind of remember... I, I, I was, like, just getting back into Magic when that when Lorwyn was the current set. And uh-huh. I kind of remembered it showing up a small amount, but not, like, like as a one-of, mostly. Um, but, but at two mana... Yeah, two mana, now we're really, like, th- this effect being one mana cheaper is pretty noticeable. First off, like, uh, it's important to note that the failure case here of... If you're, if you're on the second turn of the game and you have two of these cards in your hand, for instance, you can just cycle one. Uh, you can just pay one in a black and draw a card with it. So that's all. That's definitely worth pointing out because it's, it's not one of these like it's, it's it is a raised dead that also just functions with no useful cards in your graveyard. Um, and yeah, it, it gives you immediate access to any creature in your graveyard, and then it can stock your next draws with gas. Um, and if you're a deck that mills yourself, this can then be like a tutor, right? Yeah. the The thing that I'm interested in doing with this card right now is. Uh is goblin ringleader is in m20 so will be legal and standard and 
you know, you get to stack your deck with goblins. Uh, it seems like it could potentially be a pretty powerful interaction, depending on the goblins. It does seem like a lot of the good goblins are rotating. Skirk Prospector, Goblin Warchief, uh, Trash Master. Wow. Skirk Prospector got went all the way through standard without getting played. That yeah. Sucks. I love Skirk uh, Siege Gang Commander are all rotating. So, you know, maybe the goblins won't be good enough to take advantage of that interaction, but it... It seems potentially like it could be quite strong to, to combine those. So, I, I don't know. I, I also could just... I also think this is probably just a pretty good card to play in Limited. Like, if you ever get to the late game and cast this, I expect you'll win very easily. Yeah, you're just going to be drawing a full card when your opponent's drawing half a card every turn for the rest of the game. Right. And that's uh, pretty good. Pretty good. One, one critique I've heard of this card is that it apparently takes a long time to resolve if you're... Uh, you know, depending on how how stocked your graveyard is. Because you have to think yes. for a while and then, you know, sequence what order you want to put them in. Right. You Well, you, yeah, you get to stack them in any order that you want. So you have to, like, determine I mean, what the best one is and if there are any you don't even want. And it's just, like, a lot of decisions to make. Yeah. Usually you just sort by goodness and then put them in that order. Yeah, in limited it probably won't be so bad, but uh, I don't know. Especially when a lot of the creatures are spells, it gets a little complicated. That's sure. Yeah. That's, that's fair. and a good a good point about this is that with the adventures, like this effect normally wouldn't get you interaction in the same way that it can with like murderous knight being in the format, right? You just you can use this and then draw a murder and so. For, yeah, that's a good point. I didn't consider that for five mana. You can just you know slay your opponent's creature again. Uh, I I don't love this card in constructed just because. Like, typically, destroying a bunch of creatures is not a good way to win a game, like, that has lasted for, like, I don't know, it seems to me that a lot of games have constructed or, like, someone takes control with, like, a card advantage engine, which they've invested a bunch of mana into, and then, like, you drawing uh, an okay but not great creature every turn or whatever is not really... The Wait, way why are we? Through. Why aren't we just drawing great creatures? Why did we put a bunch ah. of okay but not great creatures in our deck? Because you need to put a lot of creatures in your deck for this card to really be effective, and like most of the time when you do that, you have to put some not like okay but not great creatures in your deck. I don't know. I could be wrong about this, but in my experience, like if you're gonna play some grindy mid range deck, just like play with planeswalkers and card advantage creatures like a normal person, and don't uh, uh, not this kind of effect. But I, I could be wrong. I, I don't remember Footbottom Feast seeing play when it was legal, but. Uh, one also thing to note about this card, to continue my theme of talking about some nonsense for each of the last couple of cards we've talked about, uh, this card's flavor text is, those who say you only live once have never been touched by the cauldron of eternity. Is that it? Like, yes. are you going <laughs> well, somewhere with that? You only live that once. That sounds factually true, I guess. You only live once. Is, are you, that's what... There was this... There was this tweet going around on Twitter, which was like, "quote tweet this with a boring fact." Is this is this like your real life enactment of no, no, it? No, no, Benjamin. Like you know, you only live once. Yolo. That that is what has like that has made its way into Magic flavor text now. Maybe you're not you know young enough to. Don't you remember that you, time when everybody was saying Yolo? You you realize you only live once has been a saying for much longer than Yolo has been around. Yeah, but Yolo is the you know hip, cool young kids way of yeah but it's it. not like it says yolo on yeah it. but it, it says the words that yolo is the acronym of 
Right, but that's been around forever, so it's not like it's new and hip. Benjamin. This is embarrassing. I'm, yeah, I want I, this podcast. I, I don't understand I think this. this is more embarrassing for you than for me. Let's just end, this, end the dang podcast already. All right, Benjamin. You have to do it, though. What? You have to tell the story. Oh, fine. All right, I'll tell the story. This story is about how at a pro tour, Sam got pooped on by a bird. The end. That's the end of the story? Yeah, he got pooped on by a bird. I, I mean, told you I was ending the podcast. There's a little more to it than that. Well, okay. I was what? inside. I mean, you, you, failed, you failed to dodge the poop. Well, I was inside of a building. Yeah, I that's... wasn't outside. Like, you did get pooped on by a bird inside a building. That's true. Normally, it's a risk you know you're taking when you go outside that like animals and nature could interact with you. But when you're inside, usually there's some sort of... There's a, a covenant, I guess I would say, that you are safe from the birds. But not so in the Barcelona Convention Center. <laughs> all right. Um, well, I guess that's I guess that's a story. That is going to be all for us this week. We will unite again next week for more Allied Strategies. And we watched um, Keys to Beating Paolo Vitor every time. Oh, a, cla- <laughs> a true classic. Yeah, Sam was I really regretted not watching that before my Pro Tour Top 8. <laughs> Would have been really wise. Because <laughs> we'd watch that. Have you watched How to Win at Solitaire every time? Oh, of course. Okay. <laughs> I love How to Win at Solitaire. <laughs> That's one of my all-time favorite videos. They're basically the same video. <laughs>